Well, today is the final day in our sermon series on the Holy Spirit where we've been saying, what does it mean to be aware as a Christian that there is a third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit? He's often the forgotten person of the Trinity. Or we launch into kind of weirdness or we ignore him altogether. What does the Bible say? And here's my hope. We have certainly not said everything that needs to be said. Lord willing, we'll come back around and teach some more through the years if if the Lord delays his return. But this is the final message in this series. And here's all I hope that at least has happened. That this is stirred within you. A desire, at least, to say, all right, all right. I know I need to love God's word. And this church has said that for a long time. That shouldn't have been new to you. But here's what I hope would have happened. I need to love God's word, know God's word, and be filled with the Spirit. I need to be filled with the Spirit. We're not going to save that for other churches and other people somewhere. Filled with the Spirit. Love God's word and filled with the Spirit so that, why? So that you can live it out in a dark and broken world. Here's something that I hope might have shocked you six weeks ago, but shouldn't shock you now when I say it. You and your Bible alone are not enough to penetrate this dark world. God never thought it was enough. That's why he gave us his spirit. You need the Bible and God's spirit in your life. We want to be a church family that's characterized by Oh man, you go to Grace Fellowship, they, they use their Bible still. They know their Bible. They still say it's the inspired word of God. But here's what I hope will also begin to be talked about. They're spirit-filled. Grace Fellowship is spirit-filled. They're spirit-filled church that still uses the Bible, loves the Bible, wants to know what the Bible says. See, here's what some of you need to realize. God never intended for the Christian life to be comprised of just kind of like some kind of Nike reading program where you read the bible and then just go out and try to do it in your own strength you'll fall flat on your face and some of you have already found that out but here's the mistake you're making now here's what you've started to do is you just read the bible and then go try to do it you've started to say it doesn't work it doesn't work the bible doesn't work can't do it it doesn't work let me help you no it doesn't work unless the Spirit of God is at work in you. You can't even understand what the Bible says apart from the Spirit of God. You won't even want to do it, you won't know how to do it, and you will not be able to do it for long without the Spirit of God alive and well in you. So, turn with me to Ephesians chapter five, yet again, because we're gonna be there the rest of the year, no. I know some of you, that's what you're thinking. Is this going to turn into like a Romans thing? No. We are going to be there one more time today. Ephesians 5, verse 14 to 21. Ephesians 5, 14 to 21. The word of the Lord. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart 
to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So here's all I want to do today, but it's a very important, very important question I want to end with asking. All right, if being filled with the Spirit is so important, and I hope by now you're like, it is. I got to know my Bible and be filled with the Spirit. How would you know if you're filled with the Spirit? I mean, it's not like checking the oil in your mower, right? There's not some little spirit dipstick in the side that you pull out and like, yep, looking good. Or, ooh, kind of dry. How would you know? Well, here's the beauty of what's happening in this passage, my friends. Let me show you what this passage does. Because this passage commands, in verse 18, commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And this is what Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has done. And then surrounds that command with what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. He commands us to be filled with the Spirit and then surrounds that command with what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And here's the other thing. You don't need to worry about counterfeits either. When I show you the things that are in this passage that are what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, if you begin to see any of this in your life, oh my goodness, It is the work of the Spirit because these things are so foreign and unnatural to us. You would not be living this way. You would not look like this. This is not how we naturally are. So if you see any evidence of this in the days ahead, and I hope you would, it's the work of the Spirit. You're becoming more Spirit-filled. Here's the first thing, number one. How would I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Number one, you have a joy that's unrelated to your circumstances because it's fixed on greater realities. The world has joy and usually what they mean by it is happiness. Happiness is tied to circumstances. Real joy is very different. The Bible talks about joy. You'll have a joy that's unrelated to your circumstances. Look at verse 19. And as you do, I want you to keep in mind verses 18 through 21 are one long connected sentence and thought. It all goes together. Paul is not introducing anything new. It all goes together. So verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Based on what? How? How? How could that begin to characterize you? Well, I want you to remember something that we said last week about being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you see more of reality, not less. Remember, it's in contrast to drunkenness. When you're you're drunk, there's a happiness, but it's because you're not thinking about everything you ought to be thinking about. You're not seeing everything you should see now, so there's a happiness for a moment. It's a diversion. It's a lie, and you wake up, same problems, headache, vomiting, things are worse, That's not what it means to be. When you're filled with the Spirit, you don't see less. You see more. And that is what this happiness is based on. When you're seeing more, when you're seeing more than just right here, right now, that wife, that husband, those kids, that job, that health report from the doctor, that financial statement from your bank, you're able to have a much more, not perfect, but consistent and steady joy. 
that doesn't look like this because it's not based on right here, right now. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to not do. So I hope you're excited about being filled with the Spirit, but just like sometimes people say, I want to learn more about marriage in the Bible. And so they'll Google or have a concordance and say, where's every verse that uses the word marriage? That's all I need to know about marriage. The whole Bible helps you with marriage. Being filled with the Spirit, don't just look for the passages that have the word filled with the Spirit. We're in one. There are other places that are talking about the same thing. Here's what I want to show you. Paul, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, prays for the Ephesian Christians. He does not mention being filled with the Spirit, but what he is doing is praying for them that they would begin to live exactly how you live when you're filled with the Spirit. So he's talking about the same thing. Go to Ephesians 1, beginning of verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And please don't put Bible characters and churches and cities in a category of kind of like, well, I'm sure they just had it so wonderful. These were real Christians in real cities that, by the way, lived in harder times than we have. Harder, not easier, harder. And so here's what I think is interesting. It would be a fruitful study for you sometimes. I've done this before. Examine all the prayers of Paul. He was a prayer warrior. He prayed for Christians. Watch how he prays. You will never see Paul pray anything related to their immediate circumstances. Some of you would just email him and say, would you just quit? Your prayers are all so fluffy. I need you to pray about a new job. I need you to pray for my husband to change like today. I need you to pray for these kids to become obedient. I'm losing my mind and you're giving me all this. Paul never prays about immediate circumstances. Why? Because he knows what they really need is to see some greater realities and to be filled with the Spirit in a way that changes how you see and go through your present circumstances. Now follow along. The prayer of Paul to Christians in a very hard city of Ephesus where witchcraft was rampant, sexual immorality was rampant with a temple where prostitution was part of the worship. These were hard places to live as believers. And he prays like this, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, they're Christians now, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you my prayers. And they're like, oh good, Paul's praying for us. Watch how he prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that they would know God more. And that word, know him right there, is not the normal, no, it's epigenosis. And whenever in the Greek they would put the prefix epi in front of a word, it meant intensify it, take it up a notch. So this is not just knowledge, oh, I know there's a God and he saved me and he sent Jesus to die for me and he's coming back. But that doesn't affect right here, right now. That's how we act so often. I had someone one time look at me and say, I need to know what God has done for me lately, Brad. Don't talk to me about how he saved me and I'm not going to hell. Oh, Really? Let me just move back while lightning just charge you. <laughs> oh my word, to say that is horrible. But you know what? That person was just honest, being honest and saying what often we feel it. What's God done for me lately? This is an intimate, personal knowledge 
of God. He's my God and I'm knowing him, I'm seeing him. They may have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. What would start to happen if God answered Paul's prayer and all this can only be answered by the Holy Spirit filling you more? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory of his inheritance of the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? What kind of power? According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as a right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Now you think about as this letter was being read, they had to read it, to the church family, get this, they were living during times where it wasn't President Obama or President Trump, it was Nero who was in power. Do a little reading on that. Horrible things were happening. He was a horrible man and Domitian, these were leaders who were Caesars who said, you should worship me, I am God. These were horrible times and imagine them hearing, oh that's right, King Jesus is higher than Nero and Domitian. He's above all principality and power and dominion and might. There's a greater kingdom. There's a greater ruler. I'm not just trapped in this Roman world with this egomaniac. I have a greater Jesus king who loves me, knows me. That's the effect that this spoke. And I've got a hope of my calling. And I don't have all the world says I have. In fact, they're stealing and taking stuff from me. As a Christian, I'm loose. But I've got the riches of an inheritance that's spiritual that cannot be taken away from me. And I feel so weak and I feel so abused. But I have the power of God. What kind? Resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. That's what he's doing right here. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet. Now that makes you get excited about them when you think you don't like who's in power and you think, yeah, they're under the feet of Jesus. There really is another ruler under the feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now, what is Paul doing? He's not telling them anything new my friends they're Christians they know that God has called them they're saved there's a hope they believe they heard the gospel they believe they know there's a spiritual inheritance and riches that's coming one day someday they know about the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead they're not atheists they believe they're Christians and so what is Paul doing He's doing what we've been talking about in this series. He's praying that the Spirit of God would make these truths shine and explode in a way that changes how they go through and see their present circumstances. Is that not what we still need today? I don't need someone to tell me anything new, right? And if you're in this church, you've heard Bible teaching, Bible teaching, Bible teaching. You're amazingly informed. You know what so many of us need? To be transformed by those truths so that you're like, oh my goodness. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Here's what he's praying. Here's what he's asking God to do, which we keep saying. When you're filled with the Spirit, he takes the Word of God and the truth of God and makes it shine for you in a way that overpowers those other things that seem to just grip us 
and suck us down. I'll illustrate for you this way. It's like when the sun comes out, right? It's been night. You've seen stars. You've seen constellations. Sometimes they're extremely bright depending on what's going on. And the sun comes out and you can no longer see the stars. Now, I hope you did well enough in science class that you understand the stars didn't go away. They're right where they were at two in the morning. They haven't gone anywhere. You just can't see them any longer because there's something brighter shining. That's what Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would do for these believers. And it's exactly what we need. Some of you, listen to me, you're not gonna like this, but I love you. Some of you desperately want God to change your circumstances or some people around you. This thing of being filled with the Spirit, he's more interested in changing you in the midst of those circumstances. The Spirit wasn't given to us to help us get everything we want. I mean, I'm so filled with the Spirit, I just pray, I name it, claim it, my husband, new man. Hallelujah. Now I can love him and follow him. That job just changed. My supervisor dropped dead, heart attack. Hallelujah. I've been praying. Those kids, they're suddenly just marching along saying, Mother, tell us what to do next. We're so grateful for everything you do. No, 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 no. Let me scrub the tub. Don't you do that, Mother. You work so hard. Hallelujah. I'm filled with the Spirit. I've been praying things, and people are changing. It doesn't happen that way. He's more interested in changing you and me in the midst of those same circumstances, same kids, same husband, same wife, same XYZ corporation, same coworkers, same supervisor, but you're different. And some of you are like, bummer. <laughs> when are we gonna get to the series where everyone around me changes? You're gonna have to go to a different church for that. It, you won't find that series in this book, but there are other churches using other books. It's like, you're filled with the Spirit. And so there's something shining brighter that changes how you see what is going on. Because again, we don't stick our heads in the sand. It's not like we pretend I don't have this marriage. I pretend I don't have these parenting struggles. I pretend this job isn't hard. We don't pretend anything. We live in the land of reality, but the reason we have joy is we're seeing more than just that supervisor, just those kids, and just that marriage. But how are you going to see more? you got to be reading your Bible. And notice how many times. The letters of the Bible are very practical. The letters of the Bible in the New Testament to the churches are practical. It's always filled with Help these two women get along. How about this? How about this? How about this? Someone's sleeping with his father's wife. Someone's sleeping. All kinds of real problems. And he always begins every letter with about two or three chapters of greater realities first. Before he dives into the ditches of muck and mire. Because he knows we got to keep seeing more than right here, right now. Some of you would have had the Bible written very differently. It would just cut to the chase. Ephesians would begin with Ephesians 4. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy and go right into marriage, right into workplace. But he doesn't. He gives us three chapters of blessed 
Oh, blessings. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in, the, in, in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, having forgiven us, filled us, called us, sealed us, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you want. And you're like, all right, already, Paul, just help us. We sent you word that we've got some problems. He's like, hang on, hang on. I know you got problems. We're gonna get to it. Do you see? Does any of all this, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and he chose you before the foundation of the world and he saved you and he adopted you and he's accepted you and he sealed you and he made you alive when you were dead? Should any of that affect how you live in that marriage? Yes, it should. But it very often doesn't because those truths are simply intellectual truths that lay there and they've not been made alive. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. You have an awareness of greater reality so that your joy is unrelated to immediate circumstances. Now I want you to notice in verse 19 again. Look at verse 19 because I want you to see there's two dimensions of this joy. Listen to it again. Look at it. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Do you see what's going on? The first part of that verse is a horizontal joy that impacts the people around you. You're speaking to who? One another. But notice the end of verse 19. Singing and making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. So I'm going to take the verse backwards. Let's look at the end of verse 19. Here's what's going on. When you're filled with the Spirit, my friends, your joy, you have a joy that's a personal joy between you and God because he is so real to you. He's real. You just find bubbling up in your heart song. If you could sing about it all the time, you would. It's just there. It's just there. And it's to the Lord. Paul is not talking about the person who just thinks about God. He's talking about the person who speaks to God. The, the person who's filled with the Spirit does not just, oh, I go out by my patio early in the morning with my Bible, birds are singing, it's quiet, and I meet with God and have an awareness of God. And that's good. But here's what being filled with the Spirit will help you do. I still have that same awareness, and God is so real to me when I'm locked down in parking lot traffic going nowhere. When I step right into that workplace and I'm hit with three things I wasn't even counting on, and I already had two, two hard ones I knew were coming, and all of a sudden, you're just like, no thoughts of God the rest of the day. No thoughts of God, just off the rails. God, you would never, you're not a card-carrying atheist, but we are guilty of being functional atheists so many days at so many moments. It's as if there is no God because we left him at the patio with our little quiet time Bible. But this is now... No, no, no. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have a joyful awareness of God. And you talk to Him easily and often. You just talk with the Lord throughout the day easily and often. You think about Him and you talk to Him. You think about Him and you talk to Him. He's real to you. That's what starts to happen when you're filled with the Spirit. The second part of verse 19. But it doesn't stay there. When you're filled with the Spirit and you have this kind of joy, it can't stay private forever. But it often goes public. 
and impacts the people around you. Speaking to one another in Psalms. And I don't, I don't think we should take that as in you sing a hymn right there. You just stand on your desk at fidelity. A mighty fortress. What's wrong with him? Filled with the Spirit today. That's what that looks like. They just did a sermon series. No, I don't think you have to take it that way. It's indicating there's a joy that you can't help but express. Song's a great way to express it, but you can just use regular words too. And your attitude can express it. Here's the point that I want to make. When you're filled with the Spirit, your joy between you and the Lord, you have an awareness that He is so real. And you just talk to Him. And when you're filled with the Spirit, what comes out of your mouth towards other people edifies people far more than... So you edify people more than you complain about them and dump on them. Somebody say, oh... Oh, I'm filled with the Spirit, but I hate you. And you need to get with it. And if you don't change right now, I can't even tell you what's going to happen. Oh, really? You edify more. Edify. Now, you think about this. What comes out of your mouth most? What spills out of your mouth and onto other people most? It's a good litmus test for, am I filled with the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? Is God real to you throughout the day and you talk to him? And then does that change the way you talk to others and how you come across to others? But for that to happen, there's got to be some greater realities that are so real to you. Like Paul was praying in Ephesians 1, 5. It can't just be, well, I know God, Jesus raised from the dead and solved my biggest problem. And, and there's resurrection power and he's coming back and he's building a place for me and he loves me and I've got a robe of righteousness and I'm adopted and it can never be taken from me and give me his Holy Spirit living in me and whatever. That's how a lot of so-called Christians live. When you're filled with the Spirit, you say, oh my goodness, you mean I'm adopted forever and I was an enemy and I have a robe of righteousness? The perfect obedience of Jesus is my perfect record now when God the Father holy 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 looks at me he sees the obedience and perfection of Jesus you mean he gave me spiritual gifts and he lives in me he gave me direct access to his throne day, day or night in prayer 24 hours a day to come not sheepishly and timidly but boldly to find mercy and help in time of need oh my goodness that's how you start to live when you're filled with the Spirit. But let me give you a second characteristic, and it's closely related. Secondly, you can check yourself. Am I filled with the Spirit? When you're filled with the Spirit, you demand less from other people around you. You demand less from other people around you, and you're more willing to buckle up, yield your rights, because you're becoming more like Jesus. And you say, I am so out of this series now. <laughs> uh, this is what it looks like, folks. When you're filled with the Spirit, you can let up on other people around you. Why? Because your greater needs, your deepest needs for intimacy and knowing does somebody love me? Does somebody think about me? Does somebody sing over me? Has someone done anything for me? Is anybody with me? 
All those questions are answered for you first by, oh yes, I have a risen, living bridegroom, Savior, who's already called me and given me an engagement ring of the Holy Spirit, and he loves me. I don't live with my hand out constantly measuring what people are doing for me. And I don't go into every situation and our marriage and parenting and the job place so needy placing such heavy demands on people. Some of you, your life story is this story of failure of everybody in your life. The last church that failed you so much and people have failed you and friends have failed you and workers and co-workers and supervisors and on and on and on and on and on. Don't hear me saying you haven't been done wrong in a fallen broken world. Do hear me saying some of this could be dramatically helped if you didn't need people so desperately to fill in you what people cannot do. You're, you're expecting people to do for you what only God can do for you. And so you go through life putting such excessive demands on other people because you need so much and it crushes them and then you... Talk about the failure. People have failed you again. Failure, 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 failure. And it leads to bitterness and frustration and anger. And guess what? Alienation. You become a very isolated, lonely person. And you wake up and say, why don't I have any good friends? Why, don't, why can't I keep a best friend? Why can't I keep a job? Why can't I find any happiness in a job? Why does this marriage drive me nuts? Oh, why do these kids, let me help you. When you're not filled with the Spirit, you put demands on your spouse. They, I need you to be exactly what I need. But you need it too much. You put demands on your kids. I need you to respond to our wonderful, gospel-powered, Christ-centered, biblical parenting. We're doing it so different than my parents. We don't even spank you. We share the gospel and we just tap you and send you to time out. You should be roaring with obedience and so thankful. Our parenting is so biblical and godly. What's wrong with you? Ungrateful. You need it too much. I need you to respond and to make me proud. I, you, I need that church to be exactly what I need right now and to know what my needs are. And the church is failing me. They don't have the ministries that I need. And people aren't reaching out to me the way I need. And news alert, you need it too much. And that job, I need them to recognize how hard I'm working. And I need affirmation. You need it too much. I need friends to recognize and be alert to where I'm at in life. Pick up on it. And be there for me. I shouldn't have to tell you. And listen, the more you demand, the worse it gets. And your spouse seems worse, and your kids seem worse, and the church seems worse, and your job seems worse, and your friends seem worse. Consider, what if you were spirit-filled in that same marriage, with those same kids, in the same church, with the same job, with the same friends. And you were so caught up with greater realities 
and there was an epigenosis, an intimate, personal knowledge of God and the amazing things he's done for you, that you went into every one of those situations. Don't hear me saying we can just kill expectations. That's, that's human. But you just don't need it as much. And it doesn't just devastate you when it doesn't happen. And you go into situations now because the Holy Spirit's filling you with eyes that are more looking for who can I serve? Who can I help? Who has a need? Instead of I am one big need on two legs. I just enter every room as a need fleshed out. And you wonder why people flee from you. After a while, people recognize, oh, super needy, run! And let me help you here. Most human beings are walking into the same room completely consumed with their own needs. So if you ever wonder why they're not meeting yours, they're thinking about why you're not meeting theirs. So we got this whole, oh, nobody's meeting my needs. Boom. Don't hear me saying you can't get your feelings hurt and you're not disappointed ever at all. But oh my goodness, some of all this just gets so much better. Same husband, same wife, same kids, same job, same friends, same church. Different heart going into it. Filled with the Spirit. Because you're becoming more like Jesus You say, okay, Brad, that sounds great. What would that look like? If the Spirit was filling me, I became more like Jesus and I was demanding less of other people and quicker to lay down my rights. Move it out of fuzzy land. We can do that. Go to Philippians 2. Let's go out of fuzzy land right into what would it look like to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm gonna show you somebody in the Bible. We're talking about let's be filled with the Spirit more often. Now I'm about to show you someone who was absolutely filled with the Spirit every moment of every day that he lived in this world. He was fully man, fully God, but his humanity required that he be filled with the Spirit just like we, Jesus. Jesus. Philippians 2, beginning of verse 1, therefore, and that word if really could be translated since. It's not a question of if there is, it's true. So you could say therefore since We have consolation in Christ. And since there's comfort of love, and since we have fellowship of the Spirit, and since we have affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I mean, so much of what we wake up in our marriage, we go to that job, we deal with our kids, and it's what I want. I know what I want. I know how this should look. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interest. We're good at that. But for the interests of others. Now hit pause if you're sitting there saying, I can't do that. Perfect. You can't. This can only be done if you're filled with the Spirit. But this Spirit that we're talking about is the Spirit of the living Jesus Christ. So He wants to do in you and through you exactly what He did when He was here. You can do this, but it's radical. It's supernatural. You'll have to be filled with the Spirit. Let this mind, verse five, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Very poor translation and very confusing. It's a word in the Greek that means to grasp and to hold on to and say, I'm not letting this go. Jesus didn't grasp and hold on to all his privileges as God, but left the glories of heaven and stooped. You think that you're in a situation where I'm receiving less than I think I should get here. This isn't, it doesn't matter what you're in or where you are right now, it doesn't compare to how Jesus stooped and let go of his rights and left the glories of heaven and landed in a manger and humbled himself, humbled himself. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the role of a servant coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. When you're filled with the spirit that's what being filled with the spirit looks like. When you're filled with the spirit you stop clinging to your rights and you start laying down your life because you have a greater awareness of God's faithfulness to you than the failures of people around you. I'm gonna say it again. When you're filled with the Spirit, you stop clinging to your rights, but this isn't right, and I have a right, and <gasps> you stop clinging to your rights and you start laying down your life. Why? Because you've got an awareness of greater realities of God's faithfulness to you than the failures of people around you. Now here's what I wanna do next. And it might be something that you've never seen before. It's why I tell you, read the Bible, how much of it? And read big chunks, don't jump around and cherry pick. Watch what's about to happen. You say, all right, what would it look like to be filled with the Spirit? What would it look like to put less demands on people and yield my rights? What Paul does next, so verse 21, and we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, joy, giving thanks, submitting, and you say, well, I don't know, submitting, what would that look like? Verse 22, and 23, and 24, and 25, he goes on to talk about and walk us through what a Spirit-filled person would look like in a marriage. What would the wife look like? What would the husband look like? In parenting, what would the children look like? What would the dads and moms look like? In the workplace, what would workers look like? What would bosses look like? You don't have to wonder. We so often jump right in with Ephesians 5, 22. And we start working with 22 and following on marriage. Listen to me. Paul knew you can't do biblical marriage unless you're filled with the Spirit. You would never want to submit to a man. Doesn't matter how wonderful some other wife thinks your man is, you live with him. And you're like, oh dear me. There's still just so much work to be done. And as soon as he, I'll start doing what God says for me to do when he does what he's supposed to do. And oh, here we go. And children are like, obey my parents. Are you kidding? They're doofuses. And I know what I want. I don't need somebody telling me what to do. I know. I know. I could rule the world right now. I'm only 14, but I could rule. Put a scepter in my hand and a fuzzy cap. I'm going to take care of myself. I don't need you. You're telling me things to do. Yeah, I know. That's all the flesh. And you go into that workplace and you're like, why should I work hard? Nobody recognizes me. and It's not worth it. It's just a stupid job. You're filled with the Spirit. That's why. And you're doing it as unto the Lord. Very interesting what he does next. 
with Ephesians 5, 22 and following. Listen to it. Let's go there. He's going to walk us through what spirit-filled people look like in everyday relationships. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. You're like, oh my goodness, I would never have thought of that. Nor do I wake up wanting to do that. Yeah, I know. That's why I said, don't be drunk with wine. Don't just, you know, have a half a bottle of wine and like, maybe I can submit now. Because I'm not as aware of all his faults. No. Think about it. People drink because of their marriage, drink because of their kids, drink because of their jobs. He's saying, don't be drunk. Be filled with the spirit of Christ who laid aside his rights and did not demand. And then you can do this. But hey, husbands, no easier for husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. I do. Oh, shut up and listen to the next verse. Verse, next phrase, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Like, what? I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm supposed to be Jesus? I can't be Jesus. Uh, yep. Filled with the spirit of Jesus, you can get a lot closer than you are now. Less of you, more of him. Sacrificially laying down your life for your wife and putting her needs first and preferring her. Love. Just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Chapter 6 and original copies, there was no chapter division. So he's just rolling on with what spirit-filled life looks like. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. I don't want to. I know you don't. Filled with the spirit, you can. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that may be well with you. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't just sit there. And turn away from the TV and say, stop it now. You don't want me to get up. Don't make me get up. Oh, that's godly parenting right there. <laughs> Key phrase, don't make me get up. You don't want to know what's going to happen if I get up from this game. When you're filled with the Spirit, you stop. You get up. You lovingly address what's going on and you walk them through it. With training and admonition of the Lord. Not because you thought this Saturday I'm going to block out 90 minutes to deal with the crap of my kids when they get in a big fight again. No, you didn't have that planned. You had a tight day. You had all kinds of things you wanted to do and you wanted to see that game. And you're like, this is terrible. This is not convenient. We've trained you. We've taught you. Do it. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're not provoking. You're not yelling, screaming, jerking the arms of your kids. You stop. And you train them and discipline them lovingly, even if it's the millionth time you've done it, because that's what God does for us. And then he goes on into the workplace. Servants, verse 5, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service. And he anticipates what we might do. Okay, I'll work hard whenever they're looking. Nope. 
When you're filled with the Spirit, you work hard and you go the extra mile even when no one's looking. And at the end of the quarter, you don't get the attaboy. You don't get the bonus. You don't get spoken about at the banquet. And you know, that was really my project. I'm the one that led that whole thing. I had that idea and now they're taking credit for it. Will that happen in a fallen, broken world? But when you're filled with the Spirit, it does not have to derail you where you say, I can't go on. If I don't get out of this job, I'm going to lose my mind. It can still be hard, but when you're filled with the Spirit, you say, I don't work for fidelity. I don't work for great American. I don't. I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Radical? Oh, yeah. Supernatural? Yes. The third characteristic I need you to just think about yourself, you can see it in your outline, it's gratitude, which is radical. We don't live in a grateful age and you don't hear people giving thanks, they complain. When you're filled with the Spirit, you give thanks. You say, how can I give thanks always for all things? The answer is at the end of verse 20. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Bible talks about name, it's talking about character. Character. The Holy Spirit, remember I said it, has a floodlight ministry and shows you more of Jesus. When you're filled with the Spirit, he's showing you more and more and more of the character of your Savior and how trustworthy he is so that you can give thanks in every situation because you know I'm not alone. He's with me. He's up to something. It's never random. I can trust him. I can trust him. I can trust him. But now here's what I want to do. As we move forward from this series, and if you're wondering, hey, did that series have any effect on Grace Fellowship Church as a family? Are we more spirit-filled? Here's a mistake I don't want you to make. When you start to think, are we more spirit-filled now? I don't want you to think, well, are there signs and wonders and weirdness that wasn't going on before that's now going on? Don't do that. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9 shows you supernatural, spirit-filled living. You know what a church family who's filled with the Spirit will look like? We'll have more wives submitting to their husbands even though they're not perfect. And husbands laying down their lives for their wives even though she's not meeting all your so-called needs or not all you'd hope for. And children obeying their parents as unto the Lord. And men and women spilling out of this place and into the workplace Monday through Friday or Saturday who are working as unto the Lord. That's what a spirit-filled church looks like. That's how we'll know. That's how we'll know. But as we close, I want to speak to those of you that might be pushing back and pushing back kind of hard right now. And you're saying this, but Brad, is there no place for sorrow and sadness? My life has some really hard stuff in it and I'm really suffering. Am I supposed, if I'm filled with the Spirit, does this just mean I'm supposed to be some kind of happy, clappy Christian all the time? Let me show you what a spirit-filled Christian looks like in the midst of real sorrow and suffering. And I wouldn't call it happy clappy, but I would call it supernatural. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8, which by the way, this series is coming to an end today, but if you wanted to keep thinking about the Holy Spirit some more and saying, what else should I know? Oh my goodness, 
Romans 8 is not just one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It's one of the greatest chapters that talks about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times in Romans 8. So consider digging into it, memorizing some of it or all of it. But look what is going on with the Spirit-filled Christian in the midst of suffering and real sorrow. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You're led by the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Skip to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's going on? There's a Christian who's filled with the Spirit and seeing greater realities that enables them to interpret their suffering right here and say, you know what? This is super hard, but it doesn't compare to the glory to come and what God has given me so I can go on. He's with me. He's for me. Pick it up in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. So it's okay to groan. But biblical groaning is different than complaining. You groan because there's sorrow, there's hard stuff, there's brokenness. But notice there's a groaning that is balanced out with hoping and knowing that God's in control. We groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Skip to verse 28. Lots of times we start right at 28 or you just quote 28. Notice verse 28 only makes sense. And you can only talk this way. When you're filled with the spirit and you're groaning but you're hoping because you regularly are aware of greater realities. And we know that all things work together for good to those who know God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, name it and claim it. Bosses drop dead, children step up, husbands get with it. No, no, no. To be conformed to the image of his son. You're more like Christ. Conformed to the image of his son. And then look. Look at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things if God is, say it, for us. Who can be against us? Doesn't mean no one is against you, but my marriage now doesn't dictate my entire life and whether I can be joyful and serve. Those kids now don't dictate my, that job doesn't, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? He'll give you everything you need to glorify him, spirit-filled in that marriage, with those kids, in that job, in that church, in this world. When you're filled with the spirit, there's a groaning, yet a hoping because you haven't lost sight of greater 
realities.